0: This is Matt Hayes with Saturday Down South, and I want to tell you about a new podcast we're launching.
1: Saturday Lives Forever is dedicated to the iconic players and moments of college football. Those unforgettable moments where you remember where you were when you watched it.
0: Season 1 of Saturday Lives Forever is coming soon, but subscribe now and make sure you don't miss an episode. Search for Saturday Lives Forever in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're obsessed like us with college football and can't get enough of reliving fall Saturdays, you're going to love this new show.
2: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara will i was gonna start today by making a bishop sycamore joke but
0: i i don't know about you i think they've all been made every last one of them hold on let's say you get the call today which position are you starting at, at bishop sycamore Oh, that's a great question. I'd, I'd probably try and
2: finagle my way into a strong safety spot. I always thought defense was way more fun than offense, more fun to be able to hit somebody, although that was back in 2004, 2005 when you're actually allowed to hit people. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the wood. We're, <laughs> I was we're saying about that. to say,
0: you're not playing a single snap of coverage as a Bishop Sycamore safety. You're bringing the house every single play, no matter what they tell you. It's targeting your bust, the way that I play. <laughs> At Bishop Sycamore,
2: that's what they teach you, apparently. Um, no, that, that story is so bizarre. It's it's almost, it, it is truly unbelievable that, that something like that could happen in 2021. I don't even want to spend too much time digging into that because we have a million things to, to get to today with week one in the SEC, the real opening weekend of the college football season. Yes, sir. Griffith coming on later of Dog Nation. He's going to get us ready to go for that Clemson-Georgia showdown. We're going to do a little and brash at the end. So I wanted though to start with something a little bit different. I just want to start with a thank you, a simple thank you, because I am so fired up for this year, but I just want to say to everybody that's been listening to this since we did this three, four years ago now, I guess that would have been, yeah, 2018 when we first started with this different variation of the Saturday Down South podcast that Marla and I were doing and then stuck with it when we decided to do different podcasts and we wanted to kind of each go in our own direction back in January. I wanted to thank everybody who has, said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm along for the ride because we didn't really know what to expect. And I know a lot of people probably thought, Hey, the old way was better. Why would you ever ruin that? And like I've said many times, you know, what we want to do is we want to be able to provide something different and just provide more content and do it in a way that hopefully entertains you and hopefully it got you through the off season. But, I, I wanted to say that I've really enjoyed being able to do this and hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this because, you know, for me, putting myself out there in, in this format was a little bit different and I didn't really know how that would be received. But getting to do some of this stuff, especially like what we do at the end, with figuring it out and now what we're doing with Bold and Brash, it's been fun to be able to kind of show a little bit more, you know, of our personalities as well. And I, I just want to say, you know, it, it means a lot and the numbers have been absolutely awesome. So. If I don't say this enough, just trust me when I say that it means a lot. Um, just means more, as we always say here in the SEC. And we're gonna keep you entertained the entire season. Like this this thing isn't slowing down anytime soon. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what we have in the holster. Will, and I appreciate your role and what you've been able to, to provide, the commentary and and taking this this thing and, and just being willing to, to run with it. So. That was that was a lot of sappy stuff for week one. I think week one's got me feeling sentimental. I'm ready to go, man. I'm ready
0: to go. Will are you ready to go right now? I'm excited, man. Yeah, and like I would echo all that. And I appreciate you guys dealing with my bad takes and my laugh. And I think that, you know, this has been super fun. This has been one of the most fun off seasons <laughs> of my life. And uh, see, see, there it is again. But uh yeah, and I, I think that, you know, as we've talked about, this is gonna be such a fun season. You know, it there's not a lot of fake excitement here. It's really even this first slate of games, like you're about to get into, it's just like it's here, man. Like it's like Christmas. It's here. We're ready to go. Let's
2: pick some week one SEC games, shall we? These lines are all via FanDuel, so it's subject to change. We're recording at about noon on Wednesday, so keep that in mind. Let's go in order of when games are being played, but I'm going to skip Ole Miss-Louisville. We'll preview that on Sunday's pod because that one is on Monday night, and then we're going to save Georgia and Clemson for the very end. Also going to have the Mike Griffith interview, so he's going to provide some more context with that as well. Thursday night, Bowling Green, Tennessee. Tennessee's a 34 and a half point favorite. Over under 350 Joe Milton passing yards. Yeah, that's a lot. I, I, I got a reason why I went with 350. I'll get to that in a minute here. Joe Milton named the starter for Tennessee, and I'm a little bit skeptical if he keeps the job. I wanted to go back and watch Milton last year because my eyes told me that he really wasn't ready during the reps that he got at Michigan as QB1. He had his opportunity and he didn't seize it. So I rewatched a lot of Milton stuff, including every snap from that Michigan State game, because later on there's talks like he played through this thumb injury, he had surgery on it in January. And I'm like, all right, let's let's judge him instead on Michigan State against a year one head coach and mel tucker favorable atmosphere to be playing in the big house but with nobody in it you really can't ask for more as a, as a starting quarterback and i charted a few things eight to 16 on throws ahead of the sticks so one-third of his throws were past the line to gain through the ball 51 times only nine of his 51 passes traveled 20 yards And he had like three or four interceptable passes that weren't picked off, but easily could have been. What type of offense is that? Nine or 51? That's it. It was dink and dunk. And with his accuracy issues, kind of looked like that system really didn't fit him that well. Guy lost his starting job in his fifth start, which was because he started off the game with five consecutive scoreless drives against Rutgers. Not ideal. I think you see some of the raw tools with him and the guy can throw missiles. I mean, like to his detriment at times. There's a lot of plays where you look back and you're like, dude, take some mustard off of that sucker. He's also yoked out of his mind. Like, I'm going to say it now. I don't have any data to officially prove this, but he has the biggest arms of any quarterback in college football. I I feel pretty confident about that. Nobody's going to double check me on that one. And if there is, tweet it at me, whatever. The system that he was in did not do him any favors. Imagine having those physical tools and only one of his 141 passes went for 40 plus yards. Completed passes we're talking about here. So we're we're not counting the the times that he stretched the field that didn't necessarily work out. But Michigan's offense was dink and dunk, and they didn't really have any guys who could get separation downfield. So with Tennessee, Hypel is going to attack a ton. We know that. We've talked about that ad nauseam. Will, you know that as well, watching him closely at UCF. I think that his skill set is better aligned with what Hypel is going to do. That's probably why Hypel went out and got him to commit on the day that they held their spring game. But I'm skeptical because of the bad stuff that he did, where he'll lock in on one receiver. He lacks the touch. He thinks he can outrun every single defender. He's one of those guys that, like, he'll look at a defensive end and he's like, no, I got this. And they'll try and beat him to the edge. And he's like, no, you're really not quite at that level. You can move, but maybe not at the level that you think you can. Or he'll do the thing where he won't really read the defensive end on the RPOs and he'll predetermine that. So, I think he makes some mistakes as Tennessee starter and long term, I'd be surprised if he started every single game year one of the Josh Hypel But in the opener, dude's going to be fine. <laughs> Bowling Green, uh, 126 out of 127 FBS teams in scoring defense. I don't think that the Vols cover, but I think that Milton does something that hasn't been done in Knoxville since Tyler Bray did it in 2012. Throw for 350 yards at Neyland. No Tennessee quarterback has thrown for 350 yards at Neyland since 2012. That is unbelievable. Also, the last time that Tennessee had a top 60 passing offense was in 2012. Will, um, that spread is massive, man. Like, very, very massive. 34 and a half for a year one head coach with the points that Tennessee's probably going to allow. A little bit skeptical on that, but I feel like they should still be able to see some fireworks. And I'm happy for Tennessee fans that they're going to get that in week one.
0: Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there as far as it's going to be very high scoring for both teams. I wouldn't necessarily think they would cover. But yeah, I mean, how about that? Going from Michigan to Tennessee as far as QB friendliness. I mean, that, that's like, that's got to be the most fun thing in the world to step up day one and just, you know, take the reins of this Tennessee offense under Hypo. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I think, you know, we've seen that Hypo can make anything work. Uh, he looked great with a backup quarterback against LSU. Yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, Tennessee fans are in for a treat this year after, like you said, about a decade of just, Solid offense, you know, but underutilizing guys. This is an offense that it's going to get up and down the field, man. And they will do that in the
2: opener against Bowling Green. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt about that. Louisiana Monroe against Kentucky. Kentucky is a 30 and a half point favorite. The over-under, it's a little throwback to 2019. Over-under two and a half shots of Rich Rod freaking out in the booth. (laughs) You might ask, Rich Rod, what are you talking about, man? What's he up to these days? Louisiana Monroe offensive coordinator. Yeah goes from a power five head coach to an offensive coordinator for arguably the worst FBS team in America in a matter of three short years. Terry Bowden, head coach at Louisiana Monroe. Um, That'll be a surprise to a lot of people tuning into that one when it's the only SEC game on it. (laughs) at noon on Saturday. Um, He's got a ridiculously bad team that he inherited, which is why Kentucky is favored by 30 and a half points with a brand new offense, new starting quarterback. Um, That's pretty much the only thing that's holding me back, saying definitely Kentucky's going to cover in this one. As terrible as Louisiana Monroe is, uh, I can see a slower start for Kentucky. And maybe Will Levis not quite firing out of the gates, the run game takes over late, C-Rod, Kavosky, Smoke, they both have big days and then it's like a 35 to 10 win, which would still be comfortable by Kentucky standards with the offensive limitations that they've had in years past, but I still not necessarily going to say that they're going to cover that big of a spread, but gosh, it feels weird to say Louisiana Monroe could cover week one. Um, also congrats to the doppelganger, Liam Cohen, became a dad one week before the start of the season. That's just, that's great timing right there, man. The best timing.
0: Are you telling me we're gonna have a Rich Rod versus C-Rod square off in week one? Oh my gosh, look at you.
2: Look at you. I didn't even (laughs) connect those two dots. That is exactly what we're gonna have. Different, they're they're not necessarily gonna be going head to head, like C-Rod won't be going against like Rich Rod's offense, but I like that. All the the Rods are gonna be in Lexington week one. Good A-Rod out there, I'm sure he's free. Sure. What's A-Rod up to these days? It's not like he's got a, any commitments to J-Lo at this point. Oh, poor A-Rod, man. What a rough go it's been for him. He'll bounce back just fine. Yeah, play him off with the violin. We'll... <laughs> Rice in Arkansas. Arkansas is a 19.5 point favorite. The over-under I have, actually kind of a little bit more of a basic over-under, 7.5 Rice points. <laughs> Sounds kind of weird to say. Rice was number 100 in FBS in scoring last year. So I would worry about that Rice offense with all that experience back on the Arkansas defense. Barry Odom with eight months to prepare is usually a pretty good thing. Go ask Georgia about that in the season opener. Uh, DeJuan Mathis had plenty of issues dealing with that. Th- that group should come out firing, ready to go. So much experience. That crowd is going to be awesome. That's going to be an excellent place to be on Saturday. Because think about it. like. It's been a while since Arkansas fans could have a non-conference game where they're like, hey, are, are we about to get smoked by Western Kentucky? Is, is this going to go our way? I don't know. <laughs> and so Arkansas fans deserve to be able to have a game like this because last year with the all SEC slate, it's kind of like, hey, everything's gravy at this point. Any SEC win is is incredible. It's awesome. But with a reduced crowd, just a little bit different. The spread is so low for that one, which is kind of dangerous. Rice is not good. Rice is not good at all. Only 19 and a half, though, when you look at those first two spreads that I brought up with Kentucky and Tennessee both being 30-plus point favorites. And meanwhile, Arkansas sitting there at 19 and a half, probably going to be some concern that Traylon Burks doesn't play, dealing with an undisclosed injury that happened in fall camp. They might just want to save him for Texas next week. So that could be part of it. And then the other part of it could be not knowing what to expect from KJ Jefferson. There's been some talks that he hasn't had the best camp in the world. I know my guy, Brad Crawford, uh, heard about this a lot from Arkansas fans. Brad dinged him big time for that and put him at number 14 in his SEC quarterback rankings. Though I, I told him, I think Jefferson has breakout potential. It's still a bit of an unknown. And that's the case for so many of these SEC quarterbacks, and we're probably going to come to all these sweeping generalizations in week one against you know lesser opponents a lot of arkansas fans might be wondering is kj jefferson's weight going to be a factor i don't know came into camp a little bit heavier than expected which in a lot of cases look like we don't really care about that stuff big deal it is it is what it is in kendall bryle's offense you're running the hurry up man like you, you've got you can't be necessarily out of shape, and that that is a concern because he wasn't recruited to play in this offense. He was recruited to play in Chad Morris' offense. And we've talked about that before. Kendall Bryles came out and said doesn't care if he's 285 as long as he's dropping dimes. Uh, I think he's at like 245 or at least he was as of a couple of weeks ago, trying to get down to 235. Got to be a certain you know in certain physical shape to be able to play that offense. I think that's that's something that Arkansas fans could be talking about. Just a big dude in general. I think that he shows up ready to go, but Arkansas has a little bit of, time, of a tough time pouring it on. And this ends up being more like a 24 to seven type of game. So Arkansas technically doesn't cover, but wins comfortably. That's, I guess, the theme for the first three of these. Well, you had some faces during that that I wish I
0: could have just had a screenshot for that were so good. I'm sorry, I just didn't know he was a thick king. I, oh, I have dude. another person to root for here. I'm pumped about this, man. I, I just kind of thought he was like a lanky dude, but I like, relooked at his pictures just like, all right, one of my people, let's go.
2: Yeah, no, he's he's a big dude. And it's a little bit of like, in a best case scenario, he's going to do some of the, like, the big Ben type stuff where he's not going to be one of those guys who's going to like roll out and beat you that way. And I, I have questions about how well he's going to be throwing on the move like that. But if he can kind of, by time in the pocket and he's gonna be so difficult to bring down kind of at that size and he can execute that system. There's not necessarily one specific prototype that can run the Kendall Bryle's offense. You just have to be in shape to be able to do it. And you don't want that to be a headline as the season continues.
0: That's such an underrated kind of thing. It's like a big quarterback and a fast offense. That's one of my favorite things. I would almost take that of a dual threat quarterback sometimes because visually it looks very cool. It does,
2: yeah. And especially if you are doing what Kendall Bryle says, dropping dimes. I think KJ Jefferson has the ability to do that might just be a little bit of a tougher go in week one, right? Big one in Atlanta. Your neck of the woods will Alabama, Miami, Alabama is a 19 and a half point favorite. The over under I have um, four dear King slash Bryce Young NIL mentions these kids are <laughs> dude, these kids are making bank right now I don't know if you read the Ross Dellinger story about De'Ara King's first night of the NIL era, but it was it was unbelievable, so this dude's getting like two hours of sleep because he's doing four different appearances, he's going to nightclubs in Miami making like 20 grand just to be there, Bryce Young is out here of course making seven figures now, which I guess, you know, when Quinn Ewers is making 1.4 million before like he even gets to wear an Ohio State jersey, I, you know, that's that's one thing. So I guess these dudes are just kind of trailing in, in that department, but I think it'll get mentioned a lot. Did you know De'Aaron King just turned 24 years
0: old, man? 24. That's another, <laughs> he's just young. like me, man. He's about to be able to rent a car. He's yeah. soon going to have a mortgage to worry about. Love, love the older athletes too. They make me feel a little bit younger. You know what I'm saying? Could De'Aaron King get enough money to buy
2: a house while he's in college? Ooh. People are wondering. There you yeah, go. I mean, yeah. Estate
0: planning with the
2: NIL. Big brain. Grant Morgan's got the real estate deal for life. I'm pretty sure because, and Grant Morgan, friend of the show, he's married as well. I'm pretty sure that's the deal that he has in Arkansas where he just gets a house for life. Like that is an incredible thing to think about. To just know that like your, your mortgage is going to be good and you don't necessarily have to, to to worry about that even, you know, 10 years from now, who knows how long he's going to be able to, to play at the professional level. But yeah, these kids are these kids are raking in the cash and these two that will be playing in this game, um, that they will be doing just that for a long time, probably. Saban and openers, you know, it's impressive. How impressive? 14-0, and all games decided by double figures, standard stuff, all right, whatever. Only two of those teams hit 20 points. Jeez, man. They only got there because both had kickoff returns for touchdowns.
0: Like you roast people in the most respectful way, it, but it's like through stats. Like, that's an incredible stat. It's just, everybody's scoring like 30 points a game, and I was like, no, no, these guys couldn't get to 20 unless they had some freak accident, essentially. Right.
2: Yeah. Just breakdown on special teams, coverage team probably got chewed out in the film room. Everybody else, you guys are good. Nobody got past 24 points against Bama in an opener under Saban. Starting quarterbacks average 5.3 yards per attempt. Only one of those 14 starting quarterbacks hit 300 yards. Only one hit eight yards per attempt. Nine total touchdown passes allowed against starting quarterbacks. Nine, that's it. I mean, that's that was like two games for Mac Jones last year. Derek King is the best quarterback that Saban has seen in an opener. And that list includes Denard Robinson, shout out to Shoelace, DeAndre Francois. I think that DR King is able to be like the best the best sort of dual threat that that Saban has seen with the way that he can stretch the field and the way that he can have a hundred yard running game at a moment's notice which I would argue Denard Robinson not as good throwing the ball DeAndre Francois not as good running the ball so Saban has been pretty pretty vocal about that just how good King is definitely not underestimating him in this one knee is apparently good to go I expect him to make big plays even though I think Bama probably probably going to have the SEC's best defense. I still though, like, I still can't pick a team to cover the spread against Saban in an opener. Just can't do it. Giving that guy eight months to prepare seems like a cheat code. Bryce Young, Bill O'Brien, we know we have the questions. That's all still going to be there. Maybe it's not the quickest start in the world. Or maybe they just come out like gangbusters. And pretty soon we're like, Sark who? Mac who? I, I want to see if that line can protect Bryce Young because if that happens, forget about it. This is this is going to get ugly. At this point, I, I just have to assume that Bama's going to get enough stops on defense. So I'll I'll say that Miami gets to that 24 point mark, which again, that's the record against Alabama in a season opener in the the Saban era. But Bama covers wins 45 to 24.
0: Hold on, you know I got to ask, who's the quarterback who hit 300 yards against Bama? It's
2: Clint Trickett of course West Virginia 2014 he is currently the wide receivers coach for our guy Charles Huff over at Marshall
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay sorry I I, I I like those little stats are very fun to me but yeah no I I'm, I'm with you on on Miami I think that it's very I think everyone wanted to turn this into like a big thing uh and I think the Miami guys have been really respectful I think everyone kind of knows what's coming. I hate to say it like that, but we're at a point, like you said, they're 14-0. Like, what do you say at this point? Unless unless they would match up with like Clemson, which they would never do, but unless they would match up with like an Ohio State or a Clemson or a team that has proven to be on their level, it just makes no kind of sense to pick against Bama in any way. Now, I will ask you this. In terms of covering the spread, do you think this is a game that Saban kind of like, you know, calls off the dogs and makes that a little bit more attainable? Or do you think he's foot on the pedal the whole time if the game is kind of decided in the third or fourth quarter? See, Bama can keep its foot on the pedal in
2: a way that, obviously, we're talking about the most dominant team in the last 14 years here, 12, 13, whatever you want to call it, since they won it, since they won national title 2009. Bama can do it in ways that doesn't feel like they're keeping their foot on the gas. Yep. Like they'll just, and I watched it in that Duke game in Atlanta a couple years ago where a little bit of a tougher time getting going to start off. And you're kind of like, oh, this is Tua with a new OC. And we still didn't know how, how Sark was going to be in that offense. And it, it took a little bit of time. And then they get going, and then they blow the doors off you. And then all of a sudden, you're realizing that they can't sustain any drives. And Bama just gets all these short fields. So it doesn't necessarily feel like they're ripping off 80 yard you know, touchdown passes or something like that. The field gets shortened. Bama is, is, is sitting there in plus territory for the entire second half. Yep. And you look up and you're just like, oh, well, okay. This, this one is not even close and Bama's going to cover by two touchdowns. So I think that's how they'll do it, this one as well. We'll see though. I'm excited to see Derek King against this defense. Should be a really, really good matchup. Oh, same. Louisiana Tech against Mississippi State. Mississippi State's a and half point favorite. The over-under, this is important. The over-under is one replay shown of the greatest botch snap in the history of college football. Back in 2017, the fumble that went 87 yards, 87 yards, we hit third and 93 in a real football game, in a real football game. That is the ultimate no context college football tweet to throw up there, great account. If you, if they don't show that, that would be incredibly upsetting. That, that would just be a terrible, terrible thing to omit. Go watch that right now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you just need a refresher. It is that good. It is an unbelievable all-time football blooper that I, I don't think we'll ever see again. I think Mississippi State rolls in this one though. I think Stark Vegas with the Cowbells in full force, full capacity crowd is gonna be great. And I, I've said many a time, I'm a believer in the year two bump for Mike Leach. It looks like it'll be Will Rogers starting at quarterback. I don't think he sets the world on fire necessarily, but I think the air raid starts to look like the air raid. Austin Kendall, he is getting the start for Louisiana Tech. You might wonder. Hey. A little bit of a familiar name, Austin Kendall. I feel like I've heard that kind of thrown out there. Former Oklahoma quarterback, former West Virginia quarterback. True story. When everyone was tweeting out on uh, Tuesday, the, the pick of Mac with Tua and Jalen and about how all these guys are going to be starting in the NFL and how that was the best college quarterback room ever. As a joke, I wanted to reply with this pick of Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. And in the middle of this picture, with his arm around both guys is Austin Kendall because people forget, also part of that quarterback room and the entire reason you can't say that that quarterback room was better than Alabama's. <laughs> oh, poor guy,
0: doing his best. Probably a great player, or a good player, uh, I mean. <laughs> still,
2: still trying to figure it out, still trying to figure it out. Austin Kendall's the same dude who called Ohio State's defense basic back in 2016. And I don't know why a backup true freshman quarterback was allowed to speak to the media, but he was. And then Ohio State went into Norman and blew the doors off of Oklahoma. Got transferred this past July. Said a lot about summer enrollees, starting quarterbacks. Think it's a lot more difficult than we probably give it credit for. I think Mississippi State looks like the more experienced team offensively. And I think Zach Arnett does enough to confuse Austin Kendall in his first game with that system. 22 and a half doesn't seem like that much, right?
0: You just never know. Yeah, I mean, you just never know with Mike Leach. It really, that, that's, yeah, like that's blind, feels about right, you know what I'm saying? Like about any lower and I would feel good, any high. Uh, Yeah, because they could just come out, that's the thing, when their offense works, they could win by 40. When it doesn't, they could win by seven. I, I don't know. I wanted to see them against a group of five team last year so badly.
2: Yeah. Because I, I, I wanted to see what it would actually look like when they could block someone. And if you could do that and you, you can actually go five wide and feel comfortable doing it, then that kind of changes who you are offensively. But they, just, they didn't get that opportunity until the bowl game last year. And it would have been interesting to see kind of what that looked like during the year. Not take anything from away from Louisiana Tech, Skip Holtz's program, but I, I have high hopes that they'll be able to, to show up and take care of business week one.
0: I'll say this real quick, like throughout my life as an SEC fan, we've kind of had this stigma with the first couple of weeks. Of, oh, we got these cupcake games, we all need to see those. Buddy, I have never been so excited for these first couple out of conference games because last year it showed how much we really miss those as far yes. as getting to see your team look as good as they possibly can. You know what I'm saying? To just win by 30, to feel great, to watch the guys that you've been keeping up with all summer go off and like have all your thesis is confirmed in front of you. And then, you know, sometimes you get brought down to earth. Usually you do in an SEC schedule, but sometimes, especially with like a Mike Leach offense, uh, well, sometimes you're lucky enough to play LSU if you're Mike Leach, but uh, the point being, sometimes you need a week or two to kind of get things going. And that's why I love these couple first couple weeks because then once you get into the bulk of the schedule, you guys have a minute to get these new quarterbacks in there. And I feel like we, it's really underrated, honestly. And now, now we can see that with last year. That's a really good point. And, and I think for somebody
2: of these guys that last year we talked about the grind of 2020 and not feeling like you're able to, to really feel like a college football player mm-hmm. and have getting to have that random moment where if you're a second string guy and you get in a game, you score twice or something and how big that can be and how that that, that can change your entire mindset your entire year. And I think some guys get the benefit of that coming back this year in 2021. Central Michigan is a 14 and a half point underdog on the road at Mizzou, the over under. I'll stick with 14 and a half. 14 and a half times that I will hum Return of the Mac to myself. Because Jim McElwain's first game against the SEC since he faked death threats and got fired at Florida.
0: Oh my God. (laughs) That was horrible. Please don't let me do that ever again. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll cut that. We'll (laughs) cut
2: that. Lord Sisler is going to be in the house, which I think she's too nice to make any sort of shark jokes, anything like that. I I don't think that makes the SEC network cut. Be surprised if it did. Credit Mac, though, for bouncing back. I'll say this. The guy belongs at a place like Central Michigan. I I always think certain personalities fit better at Group of Five programs, and he is one of them. He was Mac Coach of the Year in 2019, ironically enough. He eh, didn't necessarily have the best year last year, kind of a lost year where they were three and three. But only being a two-touchdown underdog at Mizzou is a credit to the job that Mac has done so far. As Marler would say, I'm a little bit worried about that hook, though. The 14 and a half. That kind of makes me think, "Mm, I don't know. I can't quite get there. Also sounds like Mookie Cooper, the Ohio State transfer receiver, is going to be out for this one, potentially at least. And if he is able to play, he's not going to be at full go. Jay Macklin, definitely out. So fewer passing game weapons. I think Mizzou could win like a 28-17 type game. And maybe Connor Bazelak looks a lot better in the second half than he does in the first. I think I'm predicting slow starts for every single SEC team. I feel like I've said that this entire time. Connor Bazelak, by the way, two ends in an a no. Don't let anyone forget that. That's the proper way to spell that name. But I think this is a game that Mizzou doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to lose, but it can never really separate itself. And Bazelak ends up playing like very deep and late into the fourth quarter. And this doesn't end up necessarily being a week one Or That's the oddsmakers have that very much predicted. Probably the fact that Central Michigan, I think it's top 10 in the country and percentage of returning production has something to do with that as well. But it could be one of those sleeper kind of weird late start time, like four o'clock Eastern three, I think it's three o'clock locals. I guess that's not that weird, but four o'clock Eastern just sounds weird mm-hmm. to start at. So I don't know, that could be one of those where you flip on and you're like, Mizzou? You guys are all right you're gonna you're gonna pull away here at any point and maybe they just don't akron and auburn speaking of teams that should pull away auburn's a 36 and a half point favorite the over-under that i have is eight bo Nick snaps from under center Ooh, it would be pretty funny if all that talk about him playing under center was a ruse i, w- I wouldn't hate it and like Instead of Bo Nix taking all these snaps under center in Mike Bobo's offense, he just goes back to shotgun every single play. I don't think that happens. I think Mike Bobo runs a ton of play action and and tries to get all eyes on Tank Bigsby in that backfield. Try to get Bo Nix a little bit comfortable in the pocket, some high percentage looks. I'm down on Auburn as a whole. I talked about the five and seven projection that I have that a lot of Auburn fans not very happy about. Can't necessarily say I blame you, but Akron is awful really, really bad they are daring you to take the 36 and a half and I won't do it. Akron is one in 17 in the Tom Arth era. Limited season last year, 2019, 0 and 12. My favorite Akron stat, you're going to love this Will. In those last two seasons, the one in 17, they have yet to finish better than 121 in FBS in either scoring offense or scoring defense. Oh, so they're sorry. They're, they're sorry. They're very, very sorry. 36 and a half is a lot of points, man. A lot of points. They, they might need their entire bench and then some like future recruits as well to try and tackle Tank Bigsby. Don't think it's going to be an 11-man job. It's going to be a little bit tough. I'll say this, though. I, I think Auburn covers in this game. If Auburn's passing game looks bad and nobody is open, chemistry's not there, buckle up. It would be a really, really bad sign if Tank Bigsby needed 20 carries to just feel comfortable in this game. That would not be ideal for this team. And I get it, it's, it's week one, it's first game of the new offense. First half schedule is brutal.
0: And so pretty soon you're gonna have to go to State College. What's your, what's your number that you would feel bad about? Like if they win by 20, are you like, ah, uh, like do they need to just blow them out? Like is Akron that bad? Or is it like, you know, a 14, 17 point win, you're still like, all right, week one, keep it moving. I'm not incredibly worried about Auburn's defense. I think Auburn's defense is going to
2: figure it out despite the fact that it seems like they're losing a starting defensive lineman like every week to the transfer portal. Right. I I think Derek Mason is going to do some really good things there and, and I wouldn't necessarily worry about that. I love the secondary with Roger McCreary, Smoke Monday as well, but I think it depends on that final number. What, how many points Auburn puts up in this one, right? If it's a 20 point win and it's like, 42 to 21. All right. Fine. Whatever. That's you, you can kind of take that and if the passing game looks comfortable and looks like they have some sort of balance, but man, if it's like like a, a 28 to 7 game would be a bad sign. There you go. That's what I was trying that'd to say. Okay. That'd be a really bad sign. That's what I'm going to be a little bit more locked in. But I think Auburn covers. I think it's more like a 42 to 3 type of game cuz Akron as you said, sorry. LeBron ain't coming back. <laughs> Florida Atlantic against Florida. Florida is 23 and a half point favorite. The over-under I have for this one is 11 broadcast references to Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, Kadarius Toney, or Trayvon Grimes. 11 seems maybe a little bit high, but you got Tom Hart on the call. Our guys are pulling double duty, by the way, they got the, the 10, the Tennessee game on Thursday, and then they got to turn around and do this one on Saturday night. So they're going to be really, really busy. Talked to him the other day. The turnaround is absurd for, for prepping for some of these games. I don't know how many, how much people like legitimately care about that. But anyways, I think this game is going to be a blowout. And there's going to be a lot of references to last year's offense. We're going to get Jordan Rogers, who I've become like a lot more friendly with lately, which is kind of nice. Um, saw him at SEC media days. Got to have a little brief stop and chat with him. Kind of hopefully have Jordan on the pod real soon. Um, We're going to have Jordan breaking down the new offense a lot and how Emery is going to be different, but he can still take some of the things that Kyle Trask did well, the footwork in the pocket and how important that's going to be for his development. And then we're going to have Cole come on and Cole's going to say like, guys, I know passing is all the rage in the SEC, but if Florida doesn't block better, it'll be a step back year. Cole's going to say something like that, of course, because for the brand Um, and he's right. He's absolutely right. So I don't say that to mock Cole because he's infinitely smarter than I am. I am looking forward to seeing Emery Jones. Mm -hmm. I credit him for sticking around. I like seeing kids like that get rewarded. We've talked about that with Miles Brennan and why I I thought it was easy to root for the kid. I think that he has a big week one showing. Nikosi Perry is getting the start for Willie Taggart. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he was one of the dudes that Tate Martell could not beat out at Miami. I watched Nikosi Perry in Orlando for that opener, that week zero game a couple years ago against Florida. And dude had no chance whatsoever against Todd Grantham's defense. And that was in 2019 with Miami's offensive line. I think Florida covers. Florida covers with like a 31 to 3 type of game. And people are feeling good. And the talk will be about the improvement of Grantham's defense as well as, as Emery having some, some really positive moments moving forward in the passing game as well in week one. Will, um, this one is something that a lot of people probably didn't think that they'd be talking about, but they are. And they're going to be dialed in and they're going to be like, oh, I got to get SEC Network Plus. Eastern Illinois against South Carolina. No spread for this one.
0: Oh, yep. I know yep.
2: <laughs> the over-under is 10 Zeb Nolan pass attempts. Go figure that that story, um, a grad assistant, becoming QB1 for a Power 5 team. That was like the third or fourth biggest surprising newsworthy story of the week in football, probably. I love this season so much already, man. This season's already <laughs> bananas, man. Um, if you don't know the story, um, Nolan went from grad assistant to QB1 during fall camp after the Luke Doty injury. and. He's not someone that Shane Beamer just found while cruising on a golf cart on campus. All right. Like that's people are assuming that the guy played at Iowa State. He played at North Dakota State. He got benched at North Dakota State, but he had a year of eligibility 2020. This was one of the things that we got to see this free year of eligibility he's taking advantage of it. Um, But now he's playing at South Carolina in a season opener because of one injury that is not usually the type of thing that we see in week one. That's more like a late November type of deal. And a lot of people are hating on South Carolina. It's true, not the best look, not a full cupboard of capable quarterbacks. Clearly, if Jason Brown, the St. Francis transfer, wasn't able to win the job, and then you had the, the true freshman, Gauthier, who wasn't able to win the job. Part of the problem when that tweet came out from Chris Lowe linking to the ESPN story that broke that news, ESPN's picture was Nolan with that green number 25 jersey he's a little bit of a thicker guy dude looked like a fullback he looked like a fullback in that picture and if you have the context of knowing grad assistant to starting quarterback and he looks like that it probably didn't do him any favors because he just he didn't look the part per se we'll 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 say that like and when you're already it's already known that this is a very atypical move and who knows maybe it'll work eastern illinois is not very good that's the good news you should be able to line up marshawn lloyd at wildcat and win this game um they haven't been an fbs team in five years as i've said jimmy g tony romo they are not walking through that door south carolina wins this game luke Doty returns next week Fun week one storyline probably goes away. Will, did you have any thoughts on 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 Nolan getting getting this type of uh, this type of buzz going into just the the most uh, one of the most bizarre like week one quarterback situations I think we've ever seen.
0: Oh yes, and I mean yeah, I I, I think you explained that. Very well, because it's not like he's Uncle Rico. You know what I'm saying? He's not like some dude off the street. Like, he's been a competent quarterback before. And the North Dakota State thing, I mean, they've had, you know, two of their last, what, three or four starters have been NFL. Three, yeah, Easton
2: Stick. People forget about
0: Easton oh, Stick. Oh, you're right. Yeah, so like not yeah. beating out one of those guys is not that big of a deal. So I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously rooting for him. And I think that we've talked about it over and over again. And this is the most clear example that you just don't even need context. Shane Beamer, man, we're rooting for him so hard. But the program he took over is just, it's going to be a project. And I hope that this sets people's expectations accurately. You know what I'm saying? Because in, in pretty much any other SEC, Team, you you have you don't have this issue, but you know we know about the offseason they had and all this stuff going on, and it's just like I said, I think it sets the expectations perfectly because it's like, all right, we love the staff, we love what they're doing here. However, they they're not really given much to work with, so we're gonna be we're gonna be grading them on a scale this season and maybe in the next season. But it's gonna be fun, and we I'm really excited to see it.
2: It'll never not be amazing that Will Muschamp got as many four star quarterbacks as he did. Having said that, this is kind of what it's going to look like when it gets broken apart and you don't even have a Ryan Helinski to turn to and Ryan Halinski didn't win the job at Northwestern and I know a lot of South Carolina fans have talked about whether or not he was given a fair chance to win the starting job last year with Colin Hill after Mike Bobo came in Colin Hill was this guy from Colorado State and now you're wondering oh man like this is this is it this is this is our option but I tend to think that Shane Beamer wouldn't be doing something like this unless kid looked pretty good in camp. You know that he's gonna be able to, to understand offenses and, and do that if you're a grad assistant, you've done your homework there. They're gonna run the ball a lot. <laughs> they're, gonna a little, they're gonna run the ball a lot in their season opener and they're gonna tell their offensive line, hey, let's uh, let's, let's go make some plays so we don't get a lot of third and nines. Let's let let's make sure that we, we give this kid the best possible chance to succeed. East Tennessee State against Vandy, no spread on this one either. Uh, not, a, not a ton that we're gonna get to on this one, I'll be honest. Um, the over-under that I have is three and a half Ken Seals, year two leap references not going to be a ton to talk about storyline wise in this game i'm not sorry vandy fans i'm not trying to take a dig at you or anything like that but that that is kind of one of the big things ken seals will be the starting quarterback in this game named vandy starter officially not sure how long it took him to earn his number i did verify that vandy's players do have numbers something we're worried about that i checked on the team's official website it appears fall camp went well enough so that's a good sign. That's progress. Huge. Again, imagine if they didn't. Imagine if they didn't. Clark Lee could have pulled like a Normandale type of thing. Ref is like, coach, your players, they need numbers. And Lee goes, that's my team. And we're in I, the ampersand.
0: can see.
2: I hope and pray for Vandy that it has more depth than the team that Normandale coached in Hoosiers. Fun fact, they originally wanted Jack Nicholson for the role of Normandale instead of Gene Hackman, which I think would have been a much different movie, um, personally. Another fun fact, it was Milan High School. Hickory is a made up name. Last fun fact, Vandy's last win was against East Tennessee State, and it was 38 to nothing back in 2019. How about that? Closing the circle. Closing the circle. So I think Seals looks great. Vandy rolls in this one. No spread. Um, That's probably for the best. Kent State, Texas A&M. A&M's a and a 28 and a half point favorite. The over under I have is four minutes spent talking about Jimbo's new deal. Shout out to Billy Lucci of Texags for breaking that story on Tuesday night. If you missed it, the guy who signed a 10 year deal with $75 million guaranteed is getting an extension and a raise. Good for Jimbo for finally getting that bag. I'm proud of him. Imagine being Jimmy Sexton though. Super agent, Jimbo's agent, of course. Your client is entering year four of that ten-year deal. Again, seventy-five million guaranteed. Can't stress that enough. Guaranteed, and you're like, hey, let's cash in on that top-five finish because clearly you're underpaid, right? I mean, obviously. Like, never mind the fact that Jimbo hasn't won the division yet. He's clearly worthy of getting that extension. Twenty percent raise for one top five finish. And look, I, I did the 180 on A&M last year. I was like, they they earned it. They should have been in the playoff instead of Notre Dame. But you do this stuff because of recruiting. And that's kind of the world that we live in, kind of not. Ross Bjork wasn't the one who signed that original deal. That was Scott Woodward, now at LSU. That is how desperate these athletic directors are. That is how deep those pockets are in Texas. It is just different. That is how wild college football is in 2021. So Jimbo's extension, probably going to be a topic of conversation what should be a pretty lopsided game. As for the game itself, excited to see Haynes King's debut. I, I really think that a and fans are, are very fired up for this, this new era after 28 years of Kellen Mond. I, I think that he's going to be able to do some things that are just they're going to be Manziel-esque, and those comparisons are going to come. I'm not saying he's going to be Johnny Manziel 2.0, but I think they're going to be really excited about their new quarterback. Kent State, though. Low-key tricky for that spread. Had the number one offense in America last year. Excuse me. Granted. (laughs) The key asterisk there, it's not even a caveat, it's an asterisk. There's probably two asterisks. Five games and it was against the Mac.
0: Sure, Ohio State made the championship and played like seven games. Number one offense in the country, Kent State? Technically number one offense in the country, yeah. Does there anything that we should know about that obviously you did a little bit more research sure uh, dustin crumb
2: dustin crumb not to be confused with victor crumb of harry potter fame right dustin crumb back really good quarterback ranked him i think i had him at number 20 in my top quarterbacks in america coming into this year watched a little watched a little bit of uh, a video on him he's kind of like group of five matt corral okay a little, little bit of that like dual threat Gunslinger, not gonna be scared. If he throws a pick in a game, he's not gonna be that guy who's like, oh, I need to totally change everything up. Has this like kind of swagger about him as well. They got eighty eight percent of last year's production back.
1: Oh.
0: So this team could be like good. Like not like, you know, not hang with AM good, but like we could look back at the end of the season and be like, that was a nice, that was a nice Kent State team. Yeah, like if, if Kent State goes like
2: nine and three or something like that. And a and like, see that, that, that was like a, a halfway decent group of five win. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't entirely surprise me. I think Kent State scores a few touchdowns in on this one. And I think A&M wins more like a, a 38 to 21 type of game and they don't cover 28 and a half. So I'll, I guess I'll take, I'll take Kent State to cover in that one, but kind of kind of sneaky. Could be one of those, those teams that like hangs around for, for a little bit and at least it takes a until the second half to really kind of pour it on and, and separate themselves, but still a three-score win, which a would gladly take in the opener. LSU and UCLA. I know you're pumped to talk about this one. LSU's a two and a half point favorite against the Bruins. The over under I have, beers consumed by LSU fans. I didn't put a number. <laughs> There's just an over. That's it. That's all. And I know LSU fans, they're dealing with a lot. I'm not trying to downplay the impact of Hurricane Ida. The images from that were devastating. Hopefully everybody was able to stay safe. If you don't have power, or if you're using the last bit of juice on your phone to listen to this right now, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope everybody is back on the up and up really, really soon from that. Having said that, LSU fans are going to be in the Rose Bowl and they're going to make that place feel like an LSU home game. I I would say that even if we didn't see those images from UCLA last week, but LSU fans, they don't care about traffic. They don't care that there's a beach a half hour away. They care that their team is playing in a big time college football venue. So I'm still taking LSU to cover, though I'd probably stay far away from this one. A little bit worried about Stingley and Ricks, the health of those guys. Uh, Malik Neighbors is going to be out for a few weeks, the emerging receiver. I do kind of wonder about UCLA's a sleeper team, not just because they beat up on Hawaii, but no power five team returns a higher percentage of their production than UCLA. Chip Kelly loves this team. Very much is on board with this offense and what they've built with Dorian Thompson Robinson. No outcome though would really be that surprising for me. Like LSU wins by 28, sure. UCLA wins by 14 and all of a sudden we're like, oh, it's 2020 all over again for LSU, sure. I'll still take LSU because I have this vision that it's 2018 all over again, where LSU came out, blew the doors off the top 10 Miami squad, Miami UCLA being held in a different guard. But still, I think LSU forces turnovers, escapes with a win. Will, as an LSU fan, how are we feeling about this one? Whew.
0: Man, that was a lot. Uh, yeah, I definitely echo your comments about Hurricane Ida, it's really sad stuff. The uh, thing that's crazy about that hurricane is kind of how quickly it got very bad. Um, we're finally just now hearing from some of our family members down there in Houma on the bayou, and Dang. it's um, yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, luckily, you know, um, it, the the costs on our side, at least, are more um, material things. So, you know, on the bright side, that that's always good to hear that we finally, you know, heard back from our whole family and everybody's safe. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, sticking with that team with that theme it wouldn't surprise me at all if this was a lot like when after you know after Katrina LSU went over and played Arizona state and you know yep. it looked like okay boom this is like we're here you know what i'm saying at the same time i totally agree with all your points about UCLA chip kelly is a great coach i know that he's had a very rough half decade to full decade uh, he but at the end of the day like you said you know the returning production and, and he's a guy that made some bad career decisions at the end of the day i never really you know um, I never really detracted from him. A lot of the NFL guys think that he's like a dunce. I've always thought Chip Kelly was ahead of the curve. I think a lot of the things that he did at Oregon um, were really good. And I think that you definitely can't as an LSU fan, you know, take away from that. I I would hope that LSU would be able to, you know, kind of pummel them in the trenches. But at the same time, that's kind of like we talked about, not really a strong shoot, strong shoot of this LSU team on the offensive side of the ball. I think that 2018 comp was a very good one with Miami because that team, that game was so close until it wasn't. I remember Miami hit like the crossbar or something. And it was like, after that, LSU just took over and it was like a very makeable field goal. It was like, oh wow. Like we're just not going to play offense this game. And then suddenly Coach O was just screaming on the sideline after this missed field goal. And it was like, Oh, we're angry now, we're gonna win. So, so boy, that was a very long-winded way to say all of this, but hopefully, you know, the people of Louisiana can finally get some good news. Hopefully they go out there, get all their demons from last year, at least some of them out, and kind of return back to normal. That's what I'm pulling for. I, I'm really excited to see his defense. I think the offense is going to be a mystery. It's going to be fun. But I do think this is, you know, objectively speaking, well, I don't know. Now I know that Kent State is the number one offense, and we're looking at the uh, South Carolina game, so who knows? But I do think this is going to be the most compelling game for a lot of reasons. So we'll see, man.
2: I talked to Hester about that 2005 game. Mm-hmm. because that was Les Miles' debut, the yep. Arizona State game and traveling out there and how it wasn't necessarily an LSU. Um, if you miss this over the weekend, LSU has been in Houston all week in preparation for this game and they've been able to to get all their practice in at NRG Stadium and Hester said the thing that it wasn't really that like they had to go to a different place to practice leading up to that that really threw them off like you're used to kind of being on the move and that's not really that crazy it's like having in the back of your mind when you're supposed to be playing a football game like they had dudes on that team who couldn't even get in touch with their families and Times have changed. 16 years ago, um, we were in a different place and with social media and with you know the, the means of communication that we have now. Hopefully, there aren't kids in that LSU locker room who are wondering you know what exactly is going on with with loved ones and, and whatnot because you just kind of never you never know under normal circumstances what is going on with kids 18, to 22 years old and in a, a natural disaster like this. you you don't know who's gonna be totally dialed in for this one. Not to say that that's some sort of excuse or anything like that. I just think it's something that's, that's kind of worth keeping in mind with these extraordinary circumstances that impact all of us in our daily lives when we have to deal with normal things like going to the grocery store, much less trying to play a football game on a big national stage like that. Speaking of games on big national stages, Georgia and Clemson, the big one. I'm stupid, bro.
0: I was looking at this whole thing. That's going to be the game of the week. <laughs> it, was, it was at the end of the. It was at the end of the thing. In my defense, okay, continue. Will's bold and brash take is that <laughs> Georgia and Clemson is not the most compelling game of the week. It's going to be a Georgia blowout, of course. What you mean?
2: <laughs> the over/under I have is two and a half mentions that J T Daniels and D J Uyangalale are California kids. Probably going to be brought up. Here's how it's going to be brought up. We're going to get this little takeout on the broadcast where they do the map of the United States, like kind of yeah. where the games being played in Charlotte. And then they zoom out to California to show that we're, where both of them are from. And it's about like a half hour apart. I Googled that. Um, and they'll talk about their high school days and being you know, five-star recruits, all that, that whole deal. Awesome quarterback matchup, of course. Both have some major dudes to deal with up front, though, and each of their respective front sevens. I've talked a lot about that Clemson defensive line with Miles Murphy, Brian Brzee as well, just guys that are expected to have monster All-America type years. And then that Georgia front, of course, with Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. Wyatt has a 31-inch vertical and a 9-3 broad jump. He made Bruce Feldman's freaks list, needless to say. pretty ridiculous stuff didn't quite realize he was on that level just yet that's why you got to read as much college football content as possible so what does this game come down to who can get home without sending extra pressure which quarterback will struggle to move the chains on third down i think clemson does a better job of handling those two things and i think the tigers come out firing early real early you talk about those exotic blitzes that brent venables likes to throw at an offense Eight months prepare? Yeah. I, I think I think we definitely see some of that. Georgia doesn't get its offense going until the second half. I can picture this if I close my eyes, I can picture what Twitter is gonna look like when Georgia is sitting there going in halftime with like seven points.
0: And We've everybody's never gonna be. Seen talking that about. Before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I miss college football, to man. That exact experience is <laughs> such a niche thing, and it's so hard to explain to people. But it's like, no, no, Georgia's going into halftime with seven points; and they're going to win this game. Well, like, not not this game, but like previously, you know, like it's Kentucky against like like all these different teams. Like the, we know what they're going to beat—Tennessee, whoever they're doing this against. But we're all furious, <laughs> right? Right,
2: exactly. Like you could still think Georgia's going to go eleven and one, but now you're saying that they're incredibly overrated.
0: Right. How could we have gotten so excited? You gotta about get Georgia? the jokes like, off while you still can, because you know they're gonna. Fix it out yep. And I think they'll figure it out in the second half. But
2: I think people will lack context with some of those takes, right? Which is, you know, JT Daniels might be facing the best defense in the country. And as I said, going against the highest paid assistant coach in all of college football, I imagine he's going to have a couple of things up his sleeve with eight punts to get ready for this one. We're not even sure, too, that Warren Erickson, Georgia's center, will be at full go for this one because he was injured in camp. Clemson also might be having rotating centers. This might be really difficult for both quarterbacks against these defensive fronts if their centers aren't established and aren't at 100 percent so i am bracing for all the overreactions without context i think we're gonna get so many of those because of when this game is being played the build up for this game i think that's the game script and george's run game isn't able to be as big of a factor in the second half because they'll be playing from a deficit and they'll want to throw the ball a lot more daniels ends up having to throw it 40 plus times so i have clemson winning and covering i'm sticking with that but a lot of people are going, is this a playoff elimination game?
0: No, it's week one,
2: man. No, and that's not to say it doesn't have significance, but Georgia could lose this game and obviously still have a path that's there. And while I would have major concerns if I'm a Clemson fan about that remaining schedule if the Tigers were to lose this game because the remaining schedule is so bad, so unbelievably bad, there's still a path because an 11 and one Clemson team that wins a power five championship is still probably going to at least be in the conversation, won't be eliminated. So playoff elimination game is a fun thing to say because obviously there are huge playoff stakes. This might, however, be the best resume boosting win that a team gets all year. So obviously that being up for grabs is really, really important. Just don't sell yourself in the belief that either team is out of the playoff mix for losing this one, at least not yet. Will, are you, are you of the impression that George is going to come out and just take it to Clemson and this is going to be the, the confirmation bias that so many have been waiting to see for this offense?
0: Man, I, I feel like our, our breakdown last time we talked about this was about perfect. I, I think that those receivers are going to take a minute to get it all together. And I think, man, we you know the promo as far as these two great defensive lines, i thought couldn't get any better but when you said both of their centers were injured that's like the last thing that you want going on in this environment that it's like this guy's not feeling great he's got to like call protections and like you like he's yeah. he's got to like see all this different stuff and obviously you know these, these these quarterbacks these offenses are kind of they can it's not like that that's a be all be-all, end-all. But yeah, no, I'm I'm excited for this game. I do think Georgia's going to start slow because, like, hate to be this guy, but that's kind of what we come to expect. And if all the receivers were healthy, if Eric Gilbert was present, I would probably feel differently, to be honest with you. I'm really big on Georgia this year. We've talked about that a lot. We love the guys they have in the locker room. We love the things they brought in, and we both feel great about Georgia. But this is one of those things where it's like some teams are kind of unlucky, and this feels like, you know, all these things are kind of going against Georgia. They have to play this, you know, Clemson team that's proven they can beat SEC Teams and yeah, I mean this right here is why you schedule these types of games and why we've talked about you should be excited about a 12-team playoff regardless of what the alliance wants you to think. Because at the end of the day, there are no elimination games. Clemson has like this early in the season. Clemson has done enough to prove to you that they're worth it, you know. And if they lose a second game in in ACC play, probably forget about it. But um, I mean, George, let me ask you this question: Let's say Georgia wins this game. I mean, like convincingly, you know what I'm saying? Like not, not blows out, but like they look like the better team throughout. What do you think that allows them to get away with? Do you think they get have two, two SEC losses. losses? Boom, two losses. With an SEC but championship. Yeah.
2: You, you, you couldn't be a two loss team without an SEC championship and still get into the field.
0: So if they lose one SEC game and lose the SEC championship, do you think they could still get in?
2: Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. If Clemson holds up as a one loss team, they will. It would depend on, so who's the, so is the regular season loss coming to like Florida? Yeah, let's say it's like Florida and not like some random team. Yeah. And then if it were to be losses to Florida and Bama, see that, that would be like, that would be the confirmation that, oh my God, look look at how good the SEC is because if Georgia can beat Clemson, but then Georgia goes off and loses to Florida, loses to Bama. That would be tough. I would, I would think they would right, be out right on that like four or five line, depending on some of the things that happen. But if it were to be an undefeated Cincinnati team, that team, that undefeated Cincinnati team would get in. So that's why though, Georgia still has a path with two losses because we at least are thinking about it. Yeah, that's not a totally crazy thing to consider. So there's a lot of for, for grabs. I'm excited for this one. It's really going to test our, our buy flipping, as I always like to say, going back and forth between games on the on the remote because oh yeah UCLA, okay. <laughs> the LSU yeah I should probably explain that one uh LSU UCLA game as well going around at the same time like half of the SEC is basically playing at night game so we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of stuff to keep our eyes on um I want to get these two in real quick here lock of the week Iowa three and a half point favorite at home against Indiana wow Connor what a hedge pick going against your alma mater how could you ever do such a thing. Kinnick is going to be bananas, absolute bananas. Underrated stadium, first true road atmosphere for Indiana since they've been relevant. Since teams have actually been like, oh, Indiana, that's like a real game that's worth getting excited for and not worth, and not a game that you're giving your tickets away or leaving at halftime or something like that. I'm allowed to say that as an alum. Anybody else that says that, all right, yeah, take it easy. Ask Ohio State about going into Kinnick. Ask Michigan in 2016 when it was undefeated and lost at Kinnick. Penn State needed a walk-off touchdown there when they had Saquon. It is a tough, tough place to play. Spencer Petras, kind of awful. Not a very good Iowa quarterback. Not exactly going to be getting C.J. Beathard comps anytime soon. But that ground game with Tyler Goodson should be good enough to be able to get them a, a at least a touchdown victory. I think it keeps... IU out of rhythm. Michael Penix struggles in his first game back off the torn ACL. Give me Iowa to cover three and a half. This is the not not the type of game that Indiana wins. Historically speaking, crowded atmosphere like that. And I know times are different. First AP top 25 preseason selection since I think it's 1968. Yeah. It's pretty stunning. So I got that one. One more Louisiana Lafayette, the raging Cajuns. They cover plus eight and a half at Texas that's that's like the maybe maybe the best group of five versus power five matchup of opening weekend there one of those games at Texas just threw on the schedule without a care and then Billy Napier stays there and they end up starting as a top 25 team and you're just like oh boy um, this is going to be difficult Hudson Card going to be getting the start for Sark but I don't know. I've seen too many years of Texas losing a non-conference game, which they've done each year from 2013 to 2019. I would tend to think that maybe if they don't lose, they're at least going to have a tough time covering. And of course, everybody remembers last year what Billy Napier's team did on the road at Iowa State. So yeah, covering eight and a half, I think that happens. Will, I meant to ask you this. Do you have any either week one bets
0: or futures that you have lined up? No, not for this year. I'm I'm very into stress free this year. I'm very into just like let's Love watch it. it happen. Let's just like let let's enjoy all of it because like my thing is like I root against things too much just generally in my life. That's something I want to be better at. I just want to root for everybody. So you know if there's an upset, I want to be on the happy side of that. Uh, it's what, we've talked about I don't do March Madness March Madness bracket for that reason. It's like I just I want to be able to celebrate uh, an unexpected thing as opposed to being like uh oh. <laughs> I just want everybody to have a good time you know right just,
2: just want to be able to celebrate everybody's W's that's that's all you want alright let's go to my interview Mike Griffith Dog Nation Mike gave us the rundown of all things Georgia Clemson one of the things I think is pretty unique is Mike has been doing a lot of Clemson stuff this offseason because of how big this game um, like When I caught up with him in SEC media days, I'm pretty sure he bounced right after Georgia on Tuesday so that he could go to ACC media days to get some Clemson stuff. So Mike has been all over this matchup and dude knows that team inside and out. He's going to get us ready for the weekend. So here is Mike Griffith. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Mike Griffith of Dog Nation, AJC. Mike, of course, will be in Charlotte this weekend for Clemson, Georgia. Probably going to have just a few eyes on that game. Uh, across the country I imagine you know a lot of people dialed in on Saturday night. Um, Mike I, I know you've seen your share of big time matchups to kick off the season but is this the biggest headliner opener that you have covered personally?
1: Wow, you know I hadn't really thought about it but you know there's only been four matchups of two top five teams since 2000. Um, I think only seven since like 1986. You, you just you don't see games like this often. To open the season, um, you know, going back through my memory banks, when I covered Alabama and Auburn, they certainly did start out with this type of game. Uh, I don't recall Tennessee playing this sort of game or Michigan State for that matter. So, yeah, I think this would be the biggest uh, opening season game that I've ever seen. Now that you put that into perspective, it's, it is pretty exciting.
2: Well, 2016 opener, App State, Tennessee. I know that wasn't a preseason top five matchup, but just in terms of the buildup that you had like during the game, is Tennessee going to pull it out? Like talk about suspense. I mean, that one kind of had it all.
1: Well, App State wasn't bad. Just be to be clear, they almost won that game. Yeah. But I was thinking more along the lines of the Tennessee Georgia Tech uh, overtime game with a stop at the goal line. But but it, seriously, neither one of those teams uh, were. I think Tennessee might have been a top twenty five team in App State. But but I know you're jesting. I, I do think though that uh, a game like this is, um, you know, gets everyone's attention. And yet, uh, to me, the beauty of it is that either one of these teams could lose and still win the national championship. I think part of the reason why we didn't see games like this was we didn't have a four-team playoff. And the thought was, you know, my goodness, why in the world would you put your entire season on the line? Um, You know, because there was a time you had to be undefeated or you had to impress the pollsters kind of, you know, back where this alliance is wanting to take college football with, you know, the Rose Bowl and, and the Big Ten and the Pac-12, you know, taking their ball and going home. Um, you know, if you lost one game, you really hurt yourself in the beauty contest. So there's a reason why we didn't see those these types of games before. Uh, a lot, and as we know, these schedules are often done 10, 12, 14 years in advance. So it's nice to see this game rolling on the schedule. And I think in the coming years, we'll see more games like this.
2: We will. And I know I looked this up too because I was curious. Because these things, these games weren't a thing in the 90s. You just didn't open up the season with matchups like this in the neutral site part of it. That's one thing. But like, people don't realize the SEC didn't have an opening weekend with multiple wins against top 25 teams until 2014 till the start of the playoff era. And so you're right when you say that the playoff era kind of ushered in a, a new desire for for scheduling. And it was great for, for some of the non-conference things. And I think now with expansion, we're moving in a different direction with some of that scheduling and it's going to get even more loaded. So on, on the Georgia side, the big question for Georgia, uh, these pass catchers, everybody's been talking about it. It has not been a great camp in terms of staying healthy for these pass catchers with Kyrus Jackson, Jermaine Burton, both out early, Dominic Blaylock still coming back off the the ACL injury as well should we expect
1: all of those three guys to be at full go on Saturday night well Blaylock's not I doubt he even plays but Kir Jackson's back uh, you know he had an arthroscopic knee procedure over the summer when he returned he had a knee brace on he missed the first scrimmage but not the second. Don't really know the level of his efficiency, although Kirby said that he might be back on punt return, so that would tell me that he's healing well and and might be all right. Usually those arth- arthroscopic procedures are a little bit easier to bounce back from. Uh, you know, Jermaine Burton is such a talented guy. He's just been fragile. And, and I know Georgia fans get mad when I say that, but, you know, what, what else do you want me to say? I mean, the guy hurts his ankle in off-season workouts. He hyperextends his knee, you know, in, in spring drills. You know, he was, he was hurt part of last year. Uh... Uh, you know, you know, receivers are, you know, typically, you, you need these guys to be durable. I mean, you know, one of my buddies says the best uh, ability is availability. So, I, I think the fact that Jermaine's healthy going in, though, bodes well. Some really good uh, things being said about Marcus rosemary Jack Saint, and Donna Mitchell yeah. uh, over there on the other uh, wideout position at the X. And, and, you know, John Fitzpatrick, it's not often you get excited about a four-catch, 41-yard highlight guy, but... He's 6'7", 250, and he's a dual-threat tight end, and, and that'll enable Georgia to do some double tight end things because the other tight end is really more of an H-back, Brock Bowers. That's kind of the name to listen and watch. What's the surprise? Dark Horse breakout star is freshman Brock Bowers, guy that Georgia likes to compare to George Kittle. Can run that seam route, has really good speed, 40-inch vertical, true freshman. So I think they've got some options there, but but I also think your assessment is fair of the of the different offensive components. Um, you know, the receiving core is one I've had questions about, and frankly. Uh, I've had questions about year in and year out. I I think Georgia's tremendously underachieved at the receiver position. It looked like George Pickens was going to break that, uh, but uh, Pickens out with an ACL suffered in March. Don't think they'll get him back until at least November. So I, I think you got a fair point there. If we're going position by position matchup, that's one area where Clemson is significantly better than Georgia is at the receiver position.
2: What's the the latest on uh, this Eric Gilbert stuff that's been going on?
1: Yeah, there's, there's no latest. I mean, the guy, you know, Kirby said Monday the guy wasn't with the team and. You know, I'll tell you, Connor. Uh, you know, us reporters can be bloodhounds, but when it's a 19-year-old with a personal issue, I just kind of, I just kind of leave it there. I leave it at the coach's yeah. doorstep and say, "Say no more." Uh, you know, not not looking to go through this kid's trash or or keep a daily pulse or a daily watch. Uh, I know that because he got a lot of attention during the off season, you know, certainly a talented player. Uh, the recruiting really lit up. Uh, a lot of the people that follow recruiting and, and throw their money away on the recruiting services often, um, you know, get a little carried away with these things. They're, they're pretty uh, obsessive. Um, those are the people pushing, you know, for, I, I can't give you the information. The guy's not with the team. And that's just kind of, you know, what, where I leave it, I leave it there with Kirby Smart. So I understand why you got to ask. But, um, you know, that's one where I think when someone's that young and they're having personal issues, I think you just got to kind of leave that at the coach's doorstep. So, so, I'll ask this because you're 100 right, and we don't know.
2: And anybody that that says that they know about what's next for Eric Gilbert is lying by saying that. Where, where I kind of struggle with this is, man, like I I can't even pencil him in talking about future projections for Georgia or for any team, right? Like when you when you talk about oh, what's Georgia going to look like in four weeks or something like that. And obviously, so much of this can change. But where, where I have a tough time with it is, man, I can't even sit here and assume that he's going to come back. I don't want to assume anything. And I think anybody Anybody that's expecting, assuming Eric Gilbert to come back is is probably getting their hopes up when they, they shouldn't necessarily be, when they don't necessarily know what is going on with this kid right now.
1: No, I mean, you can say the same thing about George Pickens coming back from a knee injury. I mean, here's a guy that's that fair. gets hurt at the end of March, and, you know, if it's an eight-month process, he's back for the SEC, and that's eight months. I mean, that is, you know, and now this is a kid who's probably going pro. So then if you're, if you're George Pickens, you got to weigh it. You know, is it worth it to risk it uh, after an eight-month return for an SEC title game or even a nine-month return from an ACL to play in uh, two college football playoff games when you're right around the corner of the NFL Combine and the NFL Draft? I mean, I think we have to be realistic. And you know, the fact that George has stayed with the team and seems intent on getting back, that's great. And um, you know, maybe if George is undefeated or still in national championship contention, he weighs it. Says, you know, this is something I want to do. I love football, and I think I'm ready. Um, and it, and his agent says, because by the way, players can have agents now with NIL. And his agent says, uh, yeah, yeah, we think it'd be good for you to get a couple games on tape, or do you just wait and go through the combine drills and and let your tape speak for itself? So any time a guy's coming back from any sort of setback. I'll uh, be in medical, uh, personal, or uh, in the case of Scott Cochran, psychological, um, right. you know, that that's really hard to gauge. It's, you know, but I think this counter, I, I think, um, I think this generation, I say this generation, I sound like an old man here, this generation, uh, they've they got the video game mentality, man. People think, Oh, he's back from an injury, you know, back at 100 strength. That's not how it works. If if somebody that that cracked a rib this summer on an Orlando water slide, a story for another day, I can tell you that just because you're better doesn't mean you're back 100%. Uh, That's a process, man. Um, And there's a process for these kids, too. They can tape them up and bandage them up and shoot them up. But there's there's some hand on the hot stove principle at work here, especially psychologically when you've had a, a knee injury or a ligament failure and for the first time you realize... Um, you know that you're not Superman, and um, you kind of realize your mortality.
2: I've become a little bit familiar with Orlando water slides down here. Uh, which which water slide did the
1: damage to you? <laughs> uh, I'll just say that it wasn't the happiest place on earth that day for me. <laughs>
2: That's brutal, man. A broken rib. Oh, crack, cracked rib. Any any sort of rib injury. Gosh, that is that is not fun to, to deal with. Hope you're hope you're back and, and and doing all right after after going through that. That sounds terrible. Um, you brought up something that I wanted to get to. The, the Scott Cochran all of that that's, that's going on with there. I'm not going to ask you to speculate with Scott Cochran because I, I think you wrote something really interesting about Will Muschamp. And some people might have kind of scoffed at the tweet or whatever because the, the tweet labeled him as a, as a savior for Georgia this offseason. And even though like if you actually read the story that you didn't say the word savior in there, but the way that you brought him up, I thought was, was interesting because Kirby taking a page out of Saban's playbook to try and find the best way to utilize his assistant And, you know, as Saban often does with his analysts, he brings, you know, Kirby brings in Muschamp and now he gets to put him in this on-field role. And you get someone who is game-playing for Clemson a ton. He recruited a lot of those same kids. And in a summer with so much turnover in the secondaries you brought up, you get someone who can add something there as well. I'm not saying Will Muschamp is like the difference in winning a game like this, but Mike, is it fair to say that Kirby made what appears to be looking back on it, a pretty savvy move given the circumstances?
1: Oh, there's no question. I mean, there's people that, you know, might wonder about Will Muschamp as a head coach, but I don't think anybody doubts him as a, a defensive strategist when you look at his track record and where he's been. Um, and to your point, I mean look, Georgia lost seven guys. Seven guys yeah. out of their secondary. And you go back another year kinda of eight. I mean, you got Otis Reese who's starting at Old Miss that would be starting at Georgia. You have Tyreek Stevenson who's down at Miami who could be starting at Georgia if he was still here. You have Major Burns, who's now at LSU, who could be starting here. And then if you're Georgia, you go out and you get uh, Tyke Smith, a West Virginia All-American. He's injured; he's not playing. So, wow, you're in. And then Mark Webb, who was at the start last year, just made uh, the you know Los Angeles Chargers roster. Richard LeCount, uh, you know, going to compete for a starting position with the Cleveland Browns. And then you had a first-round cornerback in Eric Stokes, and one of the first picks of the, of the second round at the other corner position, Tyson Campbell, all gone. I mean, that is a massive, massive reload. I've never seen a secondary that's required a makeover like this. And so, yeah, the fact that you've got Will Muschamp, a former Georgia safety, uh, a former head coach, a former defensive coordinator, an expert uh, in the secondary, like Kirby Smart, who also was a, a pre- was All-SEC uh, safety at Georgia, and then you hire uh, Adai, uh, Jamal Adai from West Virginia, which was one of the past, best pass defenses in the nation. Yeah, that's big that you have those three experts to retool your secondary and work with very green players at the cornerback position. Uh, as well as at the star position. Now, you did get Darian Kendrick a transfer from uh, Clemson, and that, and that was that turned out to be a pretty big get, I think. Uh but yeah, so having Will there as an analyst to work with those guys closely, tutor those guys, watch film with those guys. Uh, that's huge. Absolutely huge. Then you have the Scott Cochran deal go down where Coach Cochran is taking time off to deal with what Coach Smart said, mental issues, right? So now you've got to promote somebody midstream because this happened right before the start of all camp. You're not going out and hiring somebody from another staff at that point. So you've got to promote somebody that's not already an on-the-field coach. Will Muschamp, perfect. I mean, here's a guy that knows how to, as you said, assess talent from all those years as a recruiter, all those years as a coach, and he's a guy that can, you know, heck, he oversaw football programs as a head coach for how many years? Surely he can coordinate special teams. Now, it's still a group effort. Everybody, you know, still throws their hat in the ring, and, you know, Todd Hartley handles punts, and different guys handle different things, but Will is perfect to coordinate that. And then, you know, a third thing, everything I've heard about Will Muschamp, and this is really amazing to me, the people in South Carolina won't be surprised, but this is the most positive, beloved, well-liked figure in that building. They love this guy. They say he's funny. He's outgoing. He's you know always he's always trying to help someone out. So he's brought a lot of goodwill into that Jordan building. And then fourthly, this is just something for me taking a deep dive in my psychoanalysis of Kirby Smart. You know, I, I look around the room and I don't know if there's anybody that can tell the emperor he has no clothes, right? And, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes when you have a mega powerful figure. There's really nobody on the staff that's going to challenge him. Now, dabble has got Woody McCorby. And for those that know about Alabama football and, and have followed football for a long time, they'll know Woody McCorby was Danny Ford's right-hand man at Clemson back in the day. And then he was Gene Stallings. And then he was actually Woody McCorby's position coach and offensive coordinator at Alabama when Dabble was on that staff as a receiver. So debble has got that elder there. He's got that guy that can say, hey, coach, I need to tell you something, man. He's got that guy. I don't know that Kirby had that guy. And that's, that's not an insult hmm. to Dan Lanning. He's an up-and-coming, promising coach, but he's only 34, 35 years old. You know, so who? I mean, Sam Pittman might have been that guy before he left and became, became the Arkansas coach. But who was that guy to say, whoa, 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 coach? You know, I know everybody's nodding their head, but this is one we need to. That's Will Muschamp he's got somebody he can look in the eye that he respects that's been there that's done that and let me tell you that gives you peace of mind now now kirby's a very self-assured guy and i think he compartmentalizes things well i really don't think he feels pressure i think you know the only pressure is the pressure he puts on himself i think that's legit with this guy i know you've dealt with him he's pretty direct then not go out of his way to be friendly or, or you know, shake anybody's hand. I mean, it's, it, it, where the direction that takes him to the national title, he wants the shortest and fastest and most direct way. And if it doesn't help him win a national title, he probably ain't got time for it. But to have a guy like Will Muschamp to bounce things off of, I think that's really big for Kirby Smart. So I don't know the people that I I, and I didn't really worry about people that, you know, that say, oh, Savior, may be a strong word. No, I think it's the perfect word, because when I look at the challenges that George has had, I think Will Muschamp's been the answer to a lot of those questions.
2: What's the headline about JT Daniels on Sunday morning?
1: Wow, that's a tough one because you already kind of started the conversation with wondering about the pieces around him, right? And Kirby's tried to tell people that. Again, you know, I, I hate to cater to the low-hanging fruit crowd, the lunatic fringe, you know, the, the people with the fake names on Twitter um, that, that the at the most obvious angles. <laughs> well, they lost, so the quarterback sucks. Well, yep. no, the quarterback is probably the most dependable and reliable element of this Georgia offense. The question is... Uh, Do the receivers get open? Do they catch the ball? Does the offensive line protect? Right. Um, It's the supporting cast. So it's hard for me to project that because I think you brought up some some very legitimate questions about the receiver core. I think we know the offensive line will be challenged by a very strong, uh, ferocious and aggressive defensive front. I I think the winning edge for George is the run game. After all the talk about Kirby opening, and he will open up the offense, by the way. He will. You'll see a strong pass-run ratio higher than he's ever had at Georgia. But I think for a game like this, you've got to have balance. You've got to neutralize that pass rush. You've got to keep JT Daniels healthy. You might lose the game, but you need to get out of there with JT healthy. Because if you win the game but you lose JT Daniels, you probably lost your national championship hopes. So uh, I'm going to say I don't think the headline is JT Daniels on Sunday morning. Mm. I think the headline is Kendall Milton in the run game uh, surprises Clemson, especially when I flash back to that Ohio State-Clemson game and, and recall how Ohio State went for over 200 yards on the ground against Clemson.
2: Yeah, people don't talk about Trey Sermon um, it, when they look back on that game. They talked about it in the moment, but they look back on it and they say that was the game that Justin Fields solidified himself as an elite college football player, and he had his moment. How about maybe maybe the better question then is, because there's always a headline about Kirby Smart. What's the, the headline for Kirby Smart on Sunday morning?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know, again, because I think this is a toss-up game. I think it's close, you know. Um, yeah, you know, how about um, Kirby hired Will Muschamp as a savior and it worked out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That might be a little too self-serving. Now, I'm, I'm going to say Kirby's gamble pays off, right? Kirby's gamble pays off. And not that I have any particular gamble in mind, but writers are often guilty of hyperbole. So if he wins that game somehow, he'll be a genius. He gambled on third and one and ran the ball. Well, is that really? No, but it was really, you know, it's going to be, both of these coaching staffs are good, okay? You know, people go, oh, Kirby, he hasn't won any big games. He's 4-0 and in non-conference games against top 10 teams. He's 6-3 and against top 10 SEC teams, not named Alabama, okay? He's yes. lost three times this season, Let led at halftime of all three games. This is not a bad football coach. He hasn't lost an opener yet. Um, so all those things, you know, Dad, I can give you some great Debo stuff too. I mean, Clemson's you know remarkable. I mean, Debo's like eleven and three against the top. Something stupid in his last fourteen games against top five, and I don't think he's lost an opener since twenty fourteen Georgia. And I think they've won ten straight regular season games against SEC teams. Now, have been against South Carolina, but still, he's beat Auburn and Texas and A and M in there a couple times. And, he, and let's face it, probably the biggest stat of all is he's two two against Nick Saban. In the playoffs, and I mean, wow, toe to toe with Saban. I mean, you got to go back to Steve Spurrier to find a guy that was 500 or better, and Spurrier was three and one against Nick Saban, and you know, and also one five straight against uh, Devil Swing at one point, by the way. So uh, the headline is, um, you know, uh, no one, you know, the, the, the practical headline will be, you know, you know, Kirby uh, looks forward to UAB. I mean, he's he's not going to get excited. He's not going to celebrate this. I really don't think that this is a game that comes down to some, you know, remarkable or bold strategy. Um, You know, maybe, you know, Kirby, you know, Kirby, you know, relies on run. I don't know. I I just, it's hard for me to proceed. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game than most people. Um, So, you know, I'm giving you my Georgia pick. I think the win, I just, I just don't think there's going to be anything remarkable about the coaching decisions or the quarterback play.
2: We'll we'll workshop the headlines. That's fine. We'll uh, I'll text you some ideas during the game or something like that. We'll
1: get it figured out with that. But I'm y- need, I yeah, yeah, you're, that. You're, I'm gonna need some headline help. I'm not I'm not doing very well. <laughs> Here's what I see. Here's what I see. I see two teams. They really don't want their quarterbacks to get hit, okay? Neither team can afford to lose their quarterback. I see two ferocious defensive fronts that are going to try to plant the quarterback. So everybody's going to be trying to get rid of the ball quick. Everybody's going to be trying to establish a run. They're going to feel each other out like a couple of boxers. You know, there's going to be some field position football. Um, Georgia's got a young secondary. Clemson's got a chance to exploit that young secondary with some really good receivers. Um, There could be a bust that could lead to score. Uh, I think Georgia's got better special teams. They've got a really good kick returner in Kenny McIntosh. A lot of people forget him. He was second in the nation in kick returns when he got injured last year. I could see Georgia breaking something on special teams or scoring a defensive touchdown even. But, but I oh. think this is going to be one of those ugly football games that kind of goes deep into the fourth quarter before it's determined. Got a final score?
2: Are you thinking like 17-14? Because that's kind of that's what it sounds like.
1: No, that's a little. That's a little bit uh, just because the rules are different, and I think both these teams are going to go tempo. So there's going to be a lot of possessions. I'm going to go 27-23. That's where I'm at on it. 27-23. So that's under the over under, um, and yet it still allows for some field goals and some movement and some big plays. But I just I, I think both of these quarterbacks are, are going to be under duress. I think JT will get rid of it quickly. Uh, I think Munkin, uh, has. A, I think he's brilliant. I mean, I love this air raid, the air raid principles. They're in his pro-style spread. Uh, you mentioned they are missing some receivers, though, right? So maybe not as much run after the catch. You know, Clemson's got some guys that can just go up and get it. And and I could see if DJU can you know just throw a couple balls up, you know some fifty fifty balls. I could see some Clemson guys coming down with it. Um, but in the end, I I just feel like this is a little bit more of a a Georgia game because it's early in the season. Typically, when we see Clemson play these SEC teams, um, they're playing teams that are kind of beat up. I mean, Georgia's will be beat up now, but typically they've, they've kind of glided through an ACC schedule, a lot of 30- and 40-point wins where everybody gets to play, everybody gets rested, you know, whereas these SEC teams are just, you know, slugging it out every week. Uh, you know, going into the fourth quarter, you know, And they have to, you know, their their starters are just so by the time they get to the postseason and then, you know, Clemson seems like a fresher fresher team. But early in the year, kind of, you look at some of these scores, even though they've won 10 straight regular season games, there's been some close ones, even, you know, A&M and Auburn especially. So uh, I don't don't think, and, and this Clemson team, You know, you got a brand-new quarterback. You're you're replacing the best quarterback in college football. And then, you know, here's kind of the winning edge for Georgia to me. Clemson was 11th in the ACC last year in rushing. 11th. It's hard to be 11th in the ACC in any football category. It means you're not trying. And and you're facing the number one returning run defense in the country from the last two seasons. And Jordan Davis, Devontae, what? I mean, so I think Clemson's going to be one-dimensional where I think Georgia will get more balance. And ultimately, that's why I'm picking Georgia to win 27-23.
2: Mike, great stuff. Really, really appreciate the time. Hope you uh, are able to have safe travels going to, to Charlotte. So I know you got a lot going on. Looking forward to all the coverage. Enjoy Saturday night, and we'll talk
1: soon, man. Look forward to it, Connor. Thanks. How about this one? I call it
0: Bold and bright
1: bold Belongs in the trash.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one.
2: Bold and brash, specific to week one. Will before we get into predictions from the Facebook group for week one, you are going to be at Boise State, UCF on Thursday night. Oh yes. We need. We're going to need on Sunday's pod a full. Gus bus breakdown, <laughs> which I realized wordplay there that didn't exactly sound um, the best. Maybe it's going to be off and running. Maybe by the time people are listening to this on Friday morning, UCF will have already put up 50 points in Gus's debut. Is, is, so look into the crystal ball for us.
0: How are we feeling about Gus's debut in Orlando? Well, first off, let me tell you this. This is going to be the most relatable thing in the world to you. So I've been to one other UCF game, and it's with my group of friends, because I obviously I went to college in Orlando. And so I like know a lot of people from down there, and that game was the Stanford game, which we got started at like 8 a.m., man, and it was 100 degrees outside. It was awesome. It was a great experience. It was whatever. But By the end of that night, I was just gas, bro, and my buddy uh, texted me the schedule, and he's like, oh, it's a Thursday game, which I've never attended a Thursday game in person. The SEC doesn't really do Thursday games, and so they won't even let us on the campus until like 3 o'clock, and one of my buddies was like, oh, this is like, I'm mad about this. I was like, oh, no. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're like, at this point,
2: when it's, that's one of those things where when somebody says, let's, let's get up really early and get after it at a ridiculous hour at this phase of my life, I'm like,
0: oh, let's, let's maybe push that back a few hours. And it's, yeah, exactly. And the thing about it is, man, it's the fact that it's the central Florida heat and sun oh. and like doing that. I was mentally preparing from doing that from like 8am to like, cause the kickoffs at seven or eight. And so it's like, it's, it, w- it would have been a day, but now I'm like, man, we get to go to uh, this is the most ridiculous cool. thing i've said anyway so point being i'm excited about gus i think that it was a you know home run higher you know the auburn guys obviously gus um had highs he had lows but i think coming off of the josh heupel surprise move to tennessee you know it's a 10 out of 10 higher for ucf really excited to see and i'm excited for some ucf fans to have their bubbles kind of burst about having the scott frost josh heupel offense and then going to gus mm. because you know gus is a guy who runs a very different offense that we've talked about this boy than almost everybody man he like made up his own offense and just runs it and it's going to be very interesting it's, it's we talked about lots of fan bases that aren't used to a lot of points now having points it's the inverse there but I think that their defense is going to be nasty they got, they got a boy big cat down there now so yeah it's, I'm, I'm excited about it does every defensive line in college football have at least one big cat? You got yeah, to. So. You got to to be feared, you have to have a really intimidating nickname on your D-line. You got to. Get a couple of boobies, you know, a couple of, you know, a lot a lot, a lot of nicknames on the D-line to really get you going couple? All right. Uh, We'll start off with this. Uh,
2: Thank you to everybody who submitted responses in the Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. If you have not joined that yet, you absolutely should. What we are going to do, I think it's going to be like an every other week sort of deal where we'll use these interchangeably with figuring it out. Or if this is just like a raging success and we're like, hey, we need to do this every single week heading into the weekend, bold and brash. We're predicting things that are specific to week one. So all these are going, to be related to this upcoming weekend in the SEC. I think they're all SEC, but we have a lot of responses to get through. So let's start with this one from Alex Nassif. Alex says, there are so many LSU fans at the Rose Bowl. The stadium staff is convinced to play Colin Baton Rouge. And then, Will, you, of course, had this probably <laughs> the greatest meme in the history of the internet with the
0: the cat. Where, where is that very large cat singing over? Like, what, what mountain town is that? It's like eight memes in one. It's like that go- the cowboy singing meme from that commercial, but over, like instead of the cowboy, it's this chunky cat, and he has like a cowboy hat on, and like with an LSU logo and a natty light. And I just put the lyrics to Colin Baton Rouge visual meme here, folks. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. We saw, and hey, bless their hearts to UCLA. They're really trying to get guys out there. We'll, we'll give them that. But boy, are the people of
2: Baton Rouge ready for some football. I would love to see the Rose Bowl bullied into playing Colin Baton Rouge for the very first time. <laughs> (laughs) that would be great you know garth canceled this tour so canceled the stadium tour the end of it because of covid and yeah i think that's that's something that we need to keep his legacy moving on Mm -hmm. jesse folly says kind of bold uga will have a running back with over 100 receiving yards probably james cook i would assume gotta be extra bold alabama will not be ahead at halftime Ooh, that is bold if miami comes out of the gates Looking very confident would not surprise me. Extremely experienced. I don't think that atmosphere is necessarily going to take him by surprise. I think seeing the speed that Clemson played at last year, and that was a bad game for Miami, I don't think that's going to take him by surprise either. I don't think Miami's going to be at half, ahead at halftime. But you just never know. And I would still trust Nick Saban to be able to make those adjustments probably. Matthew Cedro, such a homer pick, but LSU struggles for the first 15 against a fast and fired up UCLA squad. Then the talent takes over and the Tigers win handily 34 to 24. DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson, has tons of trouble throwing to the perimeter against the best corner duo in the country and ends up throwing two picks. LSU's deep defensive line humbles the UCLA running game in the second half and the Tigers establish themselves as a team to watch out for going forward.
0: A lot of bull predictions in there. I think that's just game flow. We need to get him on here, man. That's better than what I said earlier. That's I, <laughs> I feel like all that makes sense. Honestly, the start slow, the D-lines, the strength. Yeah, we're speaking the same language, man. Matthew, if this lines up exactly like this
2: and it's a 34-24 final, you got yourself an invitation to come on the pod anytime oh, yeah. you want. Drew Page. Drew says, Tennessee loses and fires their coach immediately. Hypo's lasting more than one week. He's lasting more than one week. But bold. Very bold nonetheless. Adam Stockton. Florida Atlantic exposes some holes in Florida's defense and plays well against the new quarterback. This will then lead to people talking about how Bama will thrash them come two weeks later. Um, got another one here. Tennessee definitely doesn't cover the spread against Bowling Green. Also, we get to find out who the fan base will be bashing at the quarterback spot for the next three years, like they did JG. Uh, some of the justified. And. Actually, you know, we'll cut it off right there because we got a lot to get to. Sorry, Adam. Um, Andrew Diacomo says LSU wins by four touchdowns. Stingley has at least one pick six. I hope Stingley's on the field and getting a full allotment of snaps. I really do, because kind of sounds like he's going to be banged up going into the opener. Though they're going to probably try and protect him a little bit. If both he and Ricks are out, I don't know how much that changes what LSU wants to do defensively. I think they'll at least have a clue. That's why you feel better about having having that depth in the defensive backfield and having somebody in Durante Jones who actually knows how to use that depth. Winning by four touchdowns would be a statement. That would be, hey, college football world, it's 2019 all over again, though that's just a week one thing. I wouldn't actually think that,
0: but that would be some of the narrative. A whole lot of new, Nudie McLuthern if those two, which is not a guy just made up. It's a real guy, so. Real human being. Those guys are going to get a lot of that. And some major birds, too, so interesting. name. (laughs) Interesting combo, anyway. Great name. Bill Grimes, Arkansas destroys
2: Rice like four touchdowns.
0: All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. All
1: right,
2: Sander, I don't know how bold that is, but Bill, appreciate the input. That, I guess that'd be covering the spread and doing so by over a touchdown, which at one point for Arkansas would have been extremely bold to say that. My house, Sam Pittman, has changed things. Oh, yeah. Fayetteville. Emery Picker says UGA totals over 200 yards rushing, also holds Clemson to less than 100 yards rushing. Emery did make a game prediction, though. Emory's a Georgia fan. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, we'll see. Well, you know, you read the tea leaves there. I think, I think, I think he, yeah. Probably. Probably. You never know. Reed Cousins says, Miami is winning at halftime, but Bama pulls away in the second half. And then Georgia wins by less than a touchdown. Uh Potalesny is the, uh, has the game winning field goal. Ooh, so it'd be shades of the Peach Bowl then for Georgia, if that were to happen. Um, a lot of people don't think Alabama's going to get off to a great start. So I guess that's a little bit more of a common bold prediction. Would be surprising to see Miami come out that quickly, but um, everybody assumes that Bama is going to figure things out and it won't be particularly close in the second half. We'll see if we can find one that says anything to the contrary. Um, let's see. Michael Dark says, Georgia wins by double digits, so nobody will have to learn the proper pronunciation of Clemson's quarterback. Michael. DJ Uyangalale. People are still going to know. You know that Fowler is just sitting there right now repeating that to himself. Fowler, in prep for this game, has probably said that over 100 times. And he will be a master come Saturday night. We're still going to have to learn his name. I think he's going to be really good. Probably going to be in the Heisman race. Chris Sherlin says, Clemson wins by 20, over at half. Okay, so Chris is going to be firing off those tweets. (laughs) St. George is overrated. I think that's going to happen. Uh, Let's see. Katie Estes says Bryce Young doesn't take a fourth quarter snap.
0: Okay. Let me put Miami away. See, pretty Yeah, much. I, I love that kind of prediction because it's like that's logical. That's how Saban's done things in the past. Get the, get the next random guy that we're gonna have to deal with forever after him. You guys gonna be a set. Whoever that happens to be. But yeah, no, that's I, I like that a lot.
2: Remember 2018 when Tua didn't have to attempt a fourth quarter pass until like late November. Boy, do I. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Um, let's see. Uh, we we'll, us we'll stay away from the Tate Martell digs. I already had one Tate Martell dig in this <laughs> one. Uh, let's see. Ooh, Krista Barris says, ooh la la, that's Louisiana Lafayette, um, beats the Longhorns and Miami covers. If Texas loses in the opener... I almost, that almost would be bad for Arkansas. You kind of want, if you're an Arkansas fan, everybody to be thinking Texas is back and Texas has their hopes up to just watch them get completely taken away in Fayetteville next week. I, I like that, though. I already said that that was, that was my, my, one of my locks of the week was that Billy Napier's team was going to cover on the road in Austin. Miami covering... Well considering all the, the elements that we brought up with with
0: saving in openers. Oh man, I forgot to bring this up earlier. You said ULL, so get ready for that email. Oh, <laughs> do they do that? Wait a minute. Oh yeah, they dude. If you call them U L L anywhere, they're they're ADU there's a guy on their staff who just emails you about, Hey, we're the University of Louisiana. Goodness,
1: goodness. <laughs> You can't
0: rebrand in
2: this day and age. It's and been
1: 200 them. years, God.
2: guys. Come on, Sorry.
1: goodness!
2: I don't like that. Jay Woody says Georgia wins and Bama loses. Oh! Jay's doesn't actually believe that. I don't think Jay, as a Bama fan, believes that. But it's bold. It's definitely bold. Bama losing a season opener would shake up the college football world more than any other result. Any other result. It's one thing for Tennessee to lose a season opener against Georgia State and everybody kind of, you know, pokes fun at Tennessee and, oh, you know, look at year two of the Jeremy Pruitt era. That's one thing. Bama loses in the opener, it's open season. It's, oh my God, everybody has a chance, even though Bama would still have a path to the playoff. But that's the way this happens. And because Bama hasn't lost a game in the first half of the schedule
0: since 2015,
2: People wouldn't know how to handle it.
0: They didn't know how to handle it then. I don't think they would know how to handle it now. Oh yeah, that's when you get like the twenty-five percent meaner Saban. That's just a nightmare for the rest of the SEC. So I'm thinking about we should all really be Bama fans because if they beat Bama, Bama is just going to be this team that nobody wants, not like. You ever want to play Bama anyway? But it's like Saban will know early, like oh, I got to light a fire under these boys, and your team's going to your favorite team's going to get blown out after that if they lose to Miami. If if Saban loses an opener for the first
2: time, can we get a a Tebow like? promise in the postgame <clears> speech <throat> in Saban's own unique way I'm not saying it's going to be the same sort of you know Tebow's got a very specific way in which he, he conducts himself in public speaking all that it's going to be a they lot of all right Saban. all right yeah I promise you we're going to figure this one out
0: all right you can start the buck stops here that's not a good Saban well I have three voices well. I can do, man. You've learned this.
2: That is not one of them. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave that one to my guy, Joey Molinaro. Um, <laughs> His saving. Right. That's, that's a darn good Saban. That's, I think is really tough to imitate. Oh, really yeah. Tough guy to imitate. Michael Keller says, Clemson D-line absolutely embarrasses JT Daniels, throws multiple picks, leading to a season opener loss. Wouldn't surprise me. Would it be incredibly surprising? And I like JT Daniels too. And I still think that's very, very possible. Dex Kendall says, UCLA beats LSU. Well, have you told yourself what it would mean to LSU if they were to lose in an opener, but not just lose, but lose by like multiple scores. Is that a reality that you as a fan, as an LSU fan of a, a program that has done extremely well in the 21st century are ever mentally prepared
0: for outside of Bama? I mean, I saw us lose Detroit, man. Like, we lost Detroit, we had two great seasons, and then we had last year, so you really can't And I'm a Saints fan, most of us are, so like, there's really no hurting us at this point
2: Fair, perfectly fair Carter Logan says, I like this one Tennessee is tied at halftime, but starts, and then starts the second half with a different quarterback Ooh, okay I've said, I don't think Joe Milton is going to be QB1 from start to finish in year one of the Josh Heupel era. The question is, who would he turn to? If Milton is getting the ball to start, would Harrison Bailey come in? Or would Hendon Hooker? My guess would probably be Hooker because he's the veteran. We saw Harrison Bailey last year in such limited reps, which was such a joke that the, that coaching staff messed that up. But I would tend to think he would probably want a veteran A guy like hooker who's been in those situations before who's played in a lot of tight games to come in and kind of save the day i don't think they'll be tied at half against bowling green if tennessee is tied at half against bowling green something has gone horribly wrong horribly wrong but then again it's tennessee so never rule it out (laughs) uh we'll go with this one from brooke winkler vickery clemson gets upset by georgia Technically bold. Only three and a half points spread. Two and a half, I believe it's down to.
0: At what point, spread. like, what point do you consider something an upset? Screw a good question. I'm sorry. I know it to this, but it's got to be over a TD, right? It's got to be a, t- like... Okay. okay, so if you saw the headline, here's here's
2: probably a good way to judge this. If you saw the headline on Saturday night, Georgia upsets Clemson, you would probably say, all right, upset. Right, exactly. Is that the right verb to use? You kind of know it when you see it, and you, you probably would say, like— If it's group of five team against power five team, if it's a seven point underdog or something like that. Usually if it's within a one score game, you're probably
0: not. That's maybe that's kind of the line for it, but I don't know. I think that's a good question. Not to to like, well, actually that comment, that is like a good point. And that would in technicality be an upset. I'm just saying like, I've never really thought of like what constitutes an upset because in technicality that would be an upset. Yeah.
2: No problem with that. Grant nations. Oh boy. I'm just kidding, Grant. We can't read we can't read one that says Tennessee beats bowling green. We can't do that. <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> that would be uh, cool. Then, yeah. And then Chad McKee uh, says Jordan Davis has two sacks against Clemson. Jordan Davis is not particularly known for his ability to rush the passer. That's not his thing. He's a run stuffer. He's the guy who says, I want everybody to be focused on me on that offensive line so I can free up linebackers. That is his role. That is what a guy who was 365 pounds on a good day. That is his responsibility. That dude is a monster on the interior. He's my favorite interview that we've had in the SEC this year. So far Media Days, that guy was incredible. And I hope that Jordan Davis has a monster opening game, just because that means we get a lot more Jordan Davis, and that's a really good thing. That is bold, though, by saying two sacks because he is
0: a run-stuffing dude. So I, I, was, I was circling back to that, Chad. I didn't mean to like poo-poo on your bold prediction. There. Doing this segment with you is gonna be incredible because the whole thing is just bold takes and your mind instantly goes to like, well, that's not, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> yeah, that's the segment.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's for bold. That's, that's what we're gonna get. I don't know if I have one particular bold take to start off the college football season other than I think the SEC could have its best opening weekend in college football that it's ever had like in its conference history which would consist of going 14 and 0 and that has never happened since they've expanded 2018 best opening weekend the sec has ever had they went i believe it was uh 13-1 and had the two wins against top 10 teams lsu miami being one of them and then auburn beating washington was the other and then didn't have any of those embarrassing losses only loss was tennessee losing to west virginia who had will greer and they were a double digit favorite going into it so that's that's on the table because the sec is favored in 13 games 13 or 14 games so I, i don't know how bold that is but if i had one I guess that's sort of, that's sort of it. Will, I don't mean to put you on the spot here. Anything, anything crazy bold that you got going in week one? Crazy
0: bold. Hmm let me think it's it's gonna it's gonna be something out of the Georgia game it's just one of those things where it's like because whatever happens in that game is gonna be the end of the world for of these teams you know what I'm saying it's gonna be you know um, is venables wash is it gonna be XY and Z I'm Ooh. gonna I'm gonna go ahead and go JT Daniels 300 passing yards I feel like that I I, I feel like that would be especially as we talked about as the game wears on I just, I've done it to myself again, Connor. I'm believing yeah, in Georgia. Yeah. And I just, you know what I'm saying? I think if they do that, that's now they're going to need to probably win, especially, like, because if, if you can get that part of the game going, the run game is going to be automatic. If they're going to, like, you were talking about getting pressure with four. If you can consistently hit on those, like, intermediate yeah. passes and get dink and dunk your way down the field, it's just going to make the run game amazing. So I, there, there goes my, my bold prediction. The Venables wash thing would be... I don't know that a lot of people would go quite there,
2: but if you would go back to Ohio State and what happened in the second half of that game, how bad they were with making those adjustments, go back to 2019 against LSU as well, I'm not saying that people would be like, oh, I Brent Venables as a coordinator, but there would start to be some of those questions, like how good of a defensive mind is he if he can't figure it out, especially with this defense coming into this year Seems like it would be set up really well for Clemson. So something to keep in mind as we watch all the week one games. I'm so pumped. Hopefully everybody's going to get to enjoy a full weekend of college football. Not even just Saturday, but a full weekend. Don't forget about that old Miss-Louisville game on Monday night and that Notre Dame game as well. In Tallahassee Sunday night. Oh yeah, be watching that as well. Um, so much great stuff this weekend. I'm just glad that we're here. Uh, we're gonna have a pod that drops on Sunday afternoon. I believe is the tentative plan on that TBD. That might be dropping Monday morning, but look, be on the lookout for that as well. Leave us five star review. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Hey, you're getting back into college football. Go go subscribe to the Saturday Saturday on South podcast. And I promise you will not regret it. Go subscribe to all of our other podcast as well college football uncensored saturday lives forever the new one that's dropping with matt hayes gonna have new episodes really really soon there go subscribe to our newsletter saturday.football put your email address in there join the facebook group as well and hear your name right i'm figuring out bold and brash everything thanks guys talk soon